0: This is the Sustainable Goat Podcast. We look to nature for how we should interrelate to the world. All the answers are within nature if we take the time to listen.
1: But what we have to find is a reasonable way how to handle plastic. You know, consumers expect more. They're expecting brands to be more sustainable. They're choosing sustainable brands.
0: These are the stories and ideas from those that will define a generation. I'm your host, Steve Kassanem, and this is Our Planet in Focus.
1: So I am from Philadelphia. I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia where my grandparents are big horticulturists and would potentially consider themselves botanists in a way. And so I grew up just surrounded by plants, they had a greenhouse and vegetable gardens and their own ornamental gardens, and it was just this amazing playground of plants everywhere. And I didn't really realize how important it was to have that in my life until I got a lot older. But yeah, I, I grew up in the the suburbs of Philadelphia.
0: Oh, that's so cool. What do you remember most about kind of growing up surrounded by all of that?
1: I remember, it sounds silly, but playing with salamanders. My favorite thing <laughs> to do was, I'm serious, was to like run around barefoot and turn over all of the rocks in the garden and find the salamanders. And I used to want to create little homes for them in my dad's old cigar boxes, which I realize is, is not a healthy environment for a salamander now, but I (laughs) always had this instinct to kind of just be surrounded by nature and playing in the yard and, you know, just trying to understand how the world worked in Mm. these little micro environments.
0: Yeah. And so as you got older, did you kind of continue that thought process and what, what you were kind of interested in?
1: I did. So I have always considered myself to be an artist. I grew up going to all on weekends. I luckily lived next to a public transit and was able to take a train into Philadelphia and just thrived off of all the art programs here in the city. And I was able to study design and constantly be thinking about these interactions that we have with the natural world or just, you know, human interactions and how to create artwork with that. And so I think my childhood really brought me into the world of design, but it wasn't until I was, this was only a couple of years ago, but in my late 20s that I realized I had a real love for horticulture Mm. and decided to go back to school for it.
0: Wow. So, yeah, on the art side, I always find that fascinating because I think art is is such an interesting intersection between how somebody sees the world and how they communicate that. And I always found that art is such a good reflection of that. And what was kind of your art medium that you kind of did growing up? Because obviously what you do now is is different, but also I would imagine inspired by kind of what you did when you were younger.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I studied fine art growing up and specifically worked with charcoal. So I did. Yeah. Isn't that because it's, it's not, I mean, it's pretty common, I suppose, but usually you have someone going into painting or drawing and I did all of that too, but I was really drawn to the natural form of charcoal and using this natural material to create my artwork. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's such an amazing you know, saturated material that you can play with. And a lot of it, you're using your hands too. So, Uh, you know, you have lots of tools that you use as well, but you can, you know, use your fingers and stuff too to get in there. You know, it's not the best practice to get all your oils in there as well. But (laughs) I think there was something in that that ties to my work today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think that is a component to it though. Cause I mean, I remember I took a, I took a fine art, course when i was i was younger and i i am in no way an artist by any means but what i found fascinating was yeah using charcoal you could use your finger and shade something and you actually were interacting with the art but also adding very much a human touch to it that you know you couldn't necessarily get with just a charcoal pencil or you know maybe just a tool there's like this organic feeling to it exactly yeah that's the fascinating thing about charcoal. And so you started kind of looking at horticulture and plants and, and where did you kind of start to come up with this idea of how do we lay stuff out in a different way?
1: Yeah. So I decided to go, so I went to art school and then I worked in the corporate world for a while and then decided to go back to school for horticulture. And Definitely due to my grandparents' background and my dad has all of his gardens too. And I was so taken away by designing with plants while in school for horticulture that I was trying to design living walls. And I interned for a living wall company out in San Francisco, which was an amazing experience. And I'm I'm actually installing a living wall project later this month. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. But I kept, you know, pitching to clients because I was starting my own business and in school and I was pitching to clients to have these beautiful living walls and they have all these great health benefits. And at the end of the day, people, which makes a lot of sense, don't necessarily want a lot of maintenance and plants do take water and soil and they need maintenance. And Mm -hmm. so I kept getting this feedback that people wanted the look and feel of plants, but Without any maintenance. And Interesting. So I, yeah. So that's how I started to work with lichen. And actually, because I was, so I was in school for horticulture, and then the pandemic hit. So I ended up going to my family place in northern New Hampshire. And when it came springtime, I was walking through the woods, just trying to you know, figure out exactly what I was doing with my business, what my next steps were and just enjoying the woods. And I kept being really mesmerized by the lichen and mosses that I found on the forest floor and on the trees. Mm. And I learned how to preserve them myself and sustainably collect them or sustainably harvest them and start to create that artwork. And so it was happened that really all together where i was getting this feedback about the living walls and then being very enchanted by this natural material that was right outside my doorstep so
0: happened all together wow that's incredible i mean that the living wall space is such an i mean it's a cool area right now because you're having this opportunity for art but you also have this opportunity for you know, some sort of air purification, sustainability in a home. But the maintenance part is never talked about. And that's what I find very interesting. So what was kind of your experience on that pushback? Was it just the maintenance or was it, you know, because they weren't there very often or were there other things that people were... Because there aren't a lot of living walls in places even yet.
1: Mm -hmm. There are a lot of living walls in commercial spaces, not as Mm -hmm. many in residential And I think with the pandemic, it was a difficult time for people to consider needing to have additional humans in their space. Mm -hmm. So with living walls, you have an automated watering system and you can have automated fertilizing happen throughout the growing season. And so a lot of it does happen on its own, but you should be checking for pests should be checking to make sure that the plants are doing well and are healthy and that none of the system is clogged and so once a month you should be having someone at least once a month depending on the size mm-hmm. of the wall have someone come through and I think with the pandemic people just got nervous about having someone new in their home mm-hmm. so that's wow. where that pushback was coming and for me I really want to create you know artwork for someone's space and I like the idea of doing public spaces too, but just in the beginning and where a lot of my art has been.
0: So I'm curious on like the living wall idea. Why lichen? Why that material? I mean, there's, there's so many materials that you could choose and being you know surrounded by plants and horticulture. I mean, I'm sure you had so many options. Was it just because of that forest floor or is there something else to it?
1: I think lichen's a nice material because... It's so textural and valuable. Add it and reduce it in so many different ways and really change how it works. Like I did a piece for the Philadelphia Flower Show last year, I was able to create this 3D sculptural piece that is so different than something flat on a wall that I do, that you just can't, I can't think of that many art materials where. You have so much flexibility, Mm -hmm. and the texture is just really attractive to me, and I think to everyone because it does remind you of plants because it is a a natural material.
0: Yeah. So, what does the harvesting process look like? Because obviously, if someone says, "Hey, you know, we we think this idea is really cool. We like this art. Well, we could just you know scoop a bunch of this stuff up and just start making art out of it and put it up in Target the next year. What's part of that protecting of the environment that you're actually harvesting from?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So a lot of it is about looking at your environment and only taking, you know, like five or 10% of what is growing in that very specific area. And with lichens and mosses, when you collect it, this is really more with moss, you can actually just take little chunks and kind of move the other moss around it and make it look like almost like you weren't even there so there are little tips and tricks of you're not just clearing the florist floor you're taking very delicately and and collecting in specifics that's where you don't feel like you're really taking away a large part of this you know this special ecosystem what I will say is as my work has gotten more popular I do collect, or I'm not collecting as frequently anymore because I'm also living in a city. So I am buying from a sustainable producer who talks about how they are collecting in a sustainable way. And it's actually coming over from Scandinavia. So unfortunately, it's getting shipped across the world, which I don't feel very good about. But it's- I mean, I think
0: that's part of the process though of sustainability. I think a lot of people think that you know, they expect perfection out of the gate or that if something is sustainably sourced, then therefore it's perfectly sustainable. And no, there's the an opportunity cost in this whole process. It's it's you're doing the best you can. And so of course, I mean, if you found a distributor that was doing it sustainably that was more local, I'm sure that would be on the table. But, you know, you kinda do the best you can and it's kind of what what part of the innovation of this process is is kind of that journey of sustainability. How do we just get farther and farther down the road every single time? Exactly. Yeah. And so, do you remember the first piece you ever did where you went, wow, this is awesome. Do you remember the first one you did?
1: So, the first piece that I did, I found this awesome frame. It was a vintage. you know, I don't even know what it was. It was almost like a really shallow drawer in the basement of my grandparents' house. And it was this cool antique wooden frame. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work with this. And I created a piece that has a lot of a similar flow of these organic forms that I have now. And I brought it down to Florida for an art show. And it it just did really well. And people were really drawn to it and drawn to the natural materials and how it made them feel. And even though it was a smaller piece, it really clicked with me that I had something here that people were drawn to and wanted. To surround themselves with.
0: Wow. And so when you go about your creative process of actually creating the pieces, what kind of guides some of those designs? Is it stuff you've seen in nature? Do you just kind of let it flow? I mean, it's, it's always an interesting piece is how people actually create it.
1: So for me, I, if I can, I love doing site visits to see people's homes and to see what they are inspired by and what they already have in their space. And then the environment that they're in. So I've done a couple of pieces that are right by the ocean. And so I'll bring in some beautiful waveforms to kind of emulate what you've got going outside and bringing that in. I've done some pieces that are more in Colorado, or surrounded by mountains. And so there's definitely some mountainous elements that come in. And I'd let the environment, indoor and outdoor, for a specific piece drive. My inspiration. But if it's a piece that's going in a gallery or going in an art show, or I'm just creating for fun, I do take inspiration from nature on my walks. And I'm always t- I'm taking photos all the time. And so I have a little file of just like interesting shapes and biophilic forms that I think would be cool in my work.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. And that's a really cool way of creating too, I think, is because I think part of the inspiration around art is you kind of can inspire action through what it is. And the fact that you can have this on the wall and someone can say, hey, this is inspired by, you know, the ocean and here's the story behind it. You know, you're kind of creating that conversation around nature. And maybe people are a little bit more mindful about what their natural world is around where they live. And I I think that's such a cool piece that you get to be a part of.
1: Oh, definitely. And that's the whole idea around biophilia is this this innate human instinct to connect with the natural world. And if I can create work that helps foster that feeling of having us feel more connected to the world around us, I think it's hugely beneficial.
0: Yeah. So biophilia a little bit. I mean, not a lot of people know term, what it means, connection. What is it all about?
1: Yeah. So it is actually Greek for love of life or human systems. And it's our desire or tendency to commune with nature. And so the whole field of biophilic design is surrounded by that. So how we can create these connections with nature in our built environment. And there's actually this quote. So there's this professor from Yale who was a senior researcher at Yale within the forestry and environmental studies program. and. This is one of my favorite quotes. I have it on my website because I think it just really hones in everything so perfectly. But he says, this is from Stephen R. Kellert. He says, mounting evidence suggests that our inborn tendency to connect with the natural world continues to be highly important for human health, productivity, and well-being. From this perspective, a major challenge of our time is determining how to incorporate the beneficial experience of nature into the built environment. Mm-hmm. And so I think that just sums it up really nicely of what I try and do and other biophilic designers try and create.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of hits it. It's how do you, we are a part of the natural world, I think. And when you have that, how do you design with the natural world? It's almost you create it together in that sense. You know, you're using materials from earth to make a structure that you can live on in earth. And so... I think between biophilic design and biomimicry, which is happening and how people design the user experience, I think you just have this huge wave of, you know, hey, we've lost connection with this. And how do we get more connected with it through all these different ways?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And to do like a little high level for biophilic design, there's mm-hmm. three different applications that are kind of coming out of it. One is more of our, having actual nature in your space. So using live plants, having living walls, house plants around in your home, using like real live elements, and then having the representation of nature. So that's where you have biomimicry, using natural materials like lichen, using patterns and shapes and colors of nature. And then the third section of biophilic design would be more Sense of nature in a space, and I think this one is really mm. cool. And I haven't dove into it at all, but creating, you know, like a cave-like meditation room, or having these sensory experiences, and having kind of the, the like sense of of the natural world around mm. you, I have some really cool design challenges there. That you know, I think just connect us even more and make us healthier and happier at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I mean, so especially if you live you know, in a city and you can't easily get out into nature, you know, how can you design systems to still get connected with nature? I know there's a lot of work being done in Denver, in Colorado, that they're doing a lot of work on improving kind of the public spaces and taking what's been concrete and how do you put it more back into a natural system and allow the community to kind of gather around that natural system. So, I think that that's the fascinating part about biophilic design is that there are so many layers to it, but the senses, that's so interesting because, I mean, you have the humidity so you could actually like feel it in a space, which I think would be so interesting to adjust how a space feels.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Wow. So is, is one of your goals to design, you know, a full room?
1: You know, actually this is an idea that I came up with when I was on a train. I was used to be a consultant for IBM and I was on a train to Rhode Island from New York and I, you know, just had my sketchbook out and had dreamed up this on, I try and meditate. I'm not very good at it, <laughs> but this like meditation or relaxing room that kind of encompassed around you. And I had the idea of having plants or lichen and having all these natural materials around you. And I think creating these little spaces for people to just be in a, you know, maybe you have like sounds of nature going too, but just like really getting a dose of the natural world just by walking into a room especially for places like cities where it's just so hard to get in that environment, I think would be a really fun design challenge. And it would be really uh, exciting for me. But that idea I came up with like, you know, six or seven years ago and haven't done it quite yet, but you know, I'll work my way up (laughs) to.
0: It's probably just around the corner, honestly. (laughs) That's amazing. And so what does it look like in terms of taking care of any one of these pieces. I mean, it is it is a natural system. So what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So these pieces are all made out of preserved lichen. So it is real, it is natural, but because it's a natural material, it will not last forever, which is obviously disappointing for some people who like to collect art for its longevity. But these pieces what well, I'm thinking are going to last around a decade without maintenance. Wow. I think as time goes on, adding in little bits of like in here and there, if things have started to disintegrate over time is going to be needed to keep them to their full beauty. But there is a beauty to having it disintegrate a little bit over time too. Cause that's real. That's natural. That's how yeah. we are too. You know,
0: I like that approach honestly, because it, really is a reflection of of nature i mean nature is is cyclical in terms of how something grows and moves on to the rest of the natural system so i think the the appreciation of the impermanence of the art i think is a really cool piece and you know right now even if you look at you know some of the handmade industry everything's about patina and the aging of something nature ages too so i think that that's that is a really cool aspect i think art collectors you know they may want to collect it on the front end rather than the back end for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah what was a piece that was kind of your first really exciting piece where you went wow i'm installing this in a in a location or a home or commercial business where it was like the biggest step up for you
1: yeah, so I installed a piece around a little less than a year ago in a home and it was huge. It was 75 inches by 95 inches. And you know, a lot of the logistics were tricky with renting big U-Hauls and being able to move it around and get it to the framers and extra structural abilities and stuff. And so I, I learned a lot along the way. <laughs> but what I didn't realize, because I couldn't do a site visit for the design. But I they sent me some photos. And so I incorporated their loggia or their it's kind of their outdoor living room space into my design. But what I didn't realize until I did the install is that my piece you can see from almost every because it's it's outside but protected from wind and rain and things. But it's kind of in the center of the home. And so even when you open the the front door and you look down the hall, or it's kind of like a wide hall, but you like look down into the home, you can see my piece and you can see it from the kitchen and see it from outside in the living room. And it really blew me away that someone wanted to see my work from all of these different angles and that they trusted me to create this, this piece, and they, they wanted to bring that much nature into their environment. It was just, it was so cool, and I wasn't expecting it because I hadn't been in the home yet. So that was really, I mean, just a very surreal experience for me as an artist to create the the kind of the center, the centerpiece.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a cool experience too, and in, in the sense that somebody was also choosing to put nature as the centerpiece of their home too. Like, what yeah. an alignment of of that you know, creative vision and what they were looking for.
1: Exactly.
0: So where do you think, I mean, I always believe that art has a huge, huge piece of influencing culture. Where do you kind of see this idea of biophilic design kind of starting to come across from art into what people expect or want in their homes?
1: Yeah. So I think people more and more are going to want natural elements in their homes because I think because of the pandemic in some ways where we were forced to slow down and forced to go outside, that people are really starting to look around and realize how important nature is and conservation and sustainability. And by bringing the outside in, it forces us to care more I think because you're seeing it on a day-to-day basis and it's just this like beautiful reminder of these natural resources that we have that we need to protect and I think like in little ways too I've seen some articles online where it comes to fashion I mean how it connects to our home but also how it connects to how we're dressing and walking around it seems like fast fashion is going out the window and, and people are really pushing for more sustainability and having fewer articles of clothing and quality pieces so that we aren't just creating all of this waste all the time. So I'm hopeful that kind of people focusing more on nature and the natural world are kind of change a lot of ways that we live our lives.
0: Yeah, definitely. And what are some of the pieces that you're working on right now?
1: So right now I'm very excited. I am doing a lot of lichen pieces too, but I just started a piece where I am using clay paint and I'm making my own clay paint and wool. And I'm creating almost this tapestry with using like an organic canvas and wool and hanging it from this beautiful piece of wood. And I've got it in my head and I couldn't fall asleep last night because I I keep iterating on it. There's going to be little bits of lichen in there too, but I am excited about the challenge of using these other materials that are all natural Mm -hmm. that I can combine in my work because there's just so many cool materials that we have out there. And especially with clay and clay paint, I think and that's how we used to create our homes and it's like the all those adobo structures and stuff are just like really, really cool. Wow. And if I can bring that into my art, I'd I'd be pretty stoked about that.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So adding more materials to the mix. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what do you think is the most exciting material in just in terms of sustainability right now? Is it reusing ocean plastic? Is it hemp materials? Is it mycelium? What do you think are some of those materials that people are really gravitating towards?
1: Well, mycelium is always an interesting topic. (laughs) I love mycelium. There's even, oh gosh, I mean, there's even like you can buy mushroom doors now. There's a Vermont company that does that. That's very cool. This is the most, this is such a great question. I guess mycelium, but I don't know if I'm saying that just because of the popularity of The movie that came out the other year. And then I just Mm -hmm. downloaded a book on mycelium. Yeah. Yeah, I guess mycelium is probably like the most interesting material.
0: Have you thought of designing anything with that?
1: No, because I don't know enough about how to use it. I think I'm a little daunted by it. And it's also such a Mm -hmm. magical material. I
0: Mm -hmm.
1: don't quite know. I'd have to do a lot of research on how to use it and how to, you know, sustainably use it and, and how you yeah. grow it and all that. And I, I do wonder, like, what what is the life cycle of it and all of that as well, too, mm-hmm. within art would be really interesting. Yeah. At the Philadelphia Flower Show this year, there was a big exhibit on my ceiling and it was an outdoor exhibit.
0: Very wow. cool.
1: Yeah. Very stinky, though.
0: Yes. Yes. Most people think that it is not, but it, it very much is. <laughs> That's fantastic. And the, I think one of the cool parts though, is at the same time, your art has function. I mean, it plants are air purifiers. They actually do good for the home. And so, what are some of those you know, benefits that I guess people do get out of thinking more naturally with even the artwork?
1: For sure. So in a home or office space or in any environment, people get a lot of benefits from green walls or lichen installations or living walls for that matter. For example, that reduces ambient noise. It purifies the air, which is incredible. And it increases productivity because people feel a lot more relaxed around nature and it has all these calming effects. And so There's been lots of studies done that in offices, people are more productive having greenery and living walls and lichen installations around. And so lots of people like to have my work in their offices or in their living space to create that sense of of calming. And then this is not the case with lichen installations, but with living walls, you can reduce ambient temperature too, which is Mm. just very nice for a living environment.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to it. I mean, for sure across the board. I think one of the ones that people overlook and I'm glad you mentioned it is that idea of being around nature, even inside, you actually relax naturally just being around it. And that's, of course, it's been studied, but most of the time you're like, oh, well that, yeah, if I look at it, it'll calm me down. But, you know, just even just sitting around it, the body relaxes. And I think that's such an interesting piece of surrounding yourself with nature.
1: Yep. It's... Alone by itself is a strong argument for having biophilic design in your home.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: pretty wild how far away over time we have gotten from nature and Mm -hmm. the world is really shifting. And it, it seems like there's a very positive trend with having biophilic design and lead buildings and having all of these different, interesting tech really come into our world.
0: What do you think is the future of that? What is the future of our designed world everywhere from houses to to businesses? What do do you see it being? A little bit of a futurist conversation for sure, but I find this really interesting because I think you kind of see it in a really cool way.
1: So I really, truly like to think that it's not going to be how people are perceiving the world with like the metaverse, and that honestly makes me so sad that we would need to escape to a different world to have you know a pleasant living experience, and so I really hope that we're able to convert our spaces and bring in nature into everything that we're doing, like there are little ideas like this that I was working for a company before I started my company where, for a neighborhood, you know, creating food forests so that people are tending to plants so that they're creating food in mm. their environment, they're sharing it. You have fruit trees around. So, just these little steps of bringing them into your neighborhoods, into your homes, bringing natural elements in makes you more, I guess, thoughtful and caring about the environment. And I really hope that we start as a society bringing in more permaculture elements too to how we use things. For example, I tend to, after taking my permaculture classes, there's lots of things like when I turn on the shower, I'll use a bucket at the bottom of the shower to collect the water that's not the right temperature for me yet. And then I will use that to water my plants. And there's little, Is this like little, little shifts in your day-to-day life that you can do. And like not using the dryer, you can just use a clothesline. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. so many little things that I think people are starting to relearn because they're all old practices that we used to have. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I find it interesting. It has been cyclical. The f- most fascinating thing right now is everyone wants to put things back in glass, Right. And at one point it was like, why would you use glass? No, plastic. Duh. And then right. we're just going back to the 50s again.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Oh, oh, you know what? I guess what I really hope for, I really hope to see, no, this is going to sound crazy, but compostable toilets. Yes. That is a big thing that through my permaculture class and through some podcasts, I think is a very cool idea. Used a couple of them. And I think there's just, there's so much water that we don't need to be using in our homes. So I'd say that. I
0: think water is an interesting topic that is going to be a larger topic of conversation as time goes on is how water is used and how it can be utilized for other purposes. Because I mean, if you could take waste and turn that into a biofuel to put on the power grid, then, you know, you have a case for the water. But if you can't, then that water needs to be used for something else. And you start just going down all these ways that you can optimize, you know, the resources that you have. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, it feels daunting to have to make all those choices, but really, it's just about making a few, sticking to it. And then if everybody does that, you generally get a little bit farther down the road.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think as especially Americans, we find a lot of things to be a little uncomfortable at first, but like with toilets, if you have a little bit, you know, you have more and more people catch on, it'll just become the norm. Mm-hmm. It'll be more comfortable.
0: Yeah. And I, I've what I've noticed a lot of specifically is there's a lot more innovation I've noticed in Europe in terms of how to take either biophilic design or just even optimized usage of resources. There's a lot more thought going into that. And I feel like the US is starting to catch up a little bit, but we're a little bit farther behind, I'd say
1: unfortunately
0: yeah but we're getting there there. (laughs) we'll get there but yeah it's so for me i mean i I find it so interesting to take how can you take materials that have already existed and give them a longer lifespan or when you give them a lifespan how do you make that lifespan as long as possible and so sometimes a lot in the conversation it's not necessarily the sustainability of it it's the resiliency of it Mm -hmm. how long can this last because there's some products that don't last very long And then you're going to do the process over again. And so that's what I think part of that sustainability and resiliency conversation is how do you make things last? And even yours, they're lasting as long as they naturally should and could. And that's what I think is the coolest part is you're not shortening any type of lifespan in there. You're letting it live the best life it possibly can and benefit the entire community that it's surrounded by. So in a home or a business or anything like that. Where do you kind of find the future of this, of kind of your work going? Do you find it going more into this alternative materials where you're making different pieces, or do you kind of feel like the bigger and bigger lichen pieces are what you're interested in?
1: That's a great question. I think for me, I'm so intrigued by so many different types of materials that right now I'm leaning in to new materials just. Because it's so fun to experiment with them and I love trying new things and learning from that and it feels really exhilarating to do that so Mm -hmm. I think I'll be experimenting more with you know maybe I'll be going back and using charcoal more and and using wool and something maybe mycelium and, and using these other forms too to be able to bring the outside in and really kind of push those limits but I would also love to create a really large scale piece that encompasses a room or like really transforms an environment.
0: Is there a dream installation for you? Like a a dream, you know, is it Met Gala when everyone walks in? Like what's, is there like a goal of.
1: Oh, not the Met Gala. (laughs) I mean, I guess that would be good for PR, but that wouldn't be a very (laughs) long standing piece. I would love to have it in a space that like fully transforms it and makes it feel warm and connected to nature. So I'd have to think about someplace that it's just, I'd like to transform something that feels very sterile, like a hospital, even Mm. like Mm -hmm. something that feels very disconnected to the outside world, but somewhere where people need nature and those calming benefits, the connection to the world around them even more, I think would, would be my dream installation space.
0: That's awesome. That has
1: such a beautiful impact.
0: Yeah, That's fantastic. So what is your favorite place to enjoy nature of all places you've been? If you're going to go enjoy nature, what's the place?
1: I'd go back to Alaska. Alaska is amazing.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is just mind-blowingly beautiful. And there is... Anything you could dream of. There's mountains, there's lakes, there's, I don't know, it's just kind of a, a land full of inspiration and full of people who just want to dive into it. Mm-hmm. The people there are very, <laughs> they're very hardy and very rugged. It's awesome. But they feel really connected to the land and and really seem to understand the, how important it is to protect.
0: hmm yeah, that's that's not an answer I've ever I've ever gotten on Alaska. I mean that which I mean I totally believe is a beautiful place. I'm yet to go there. It's on my bucket list for sure. When did you go there?
1: So I spent a month there earlier this summer. One of my best friends was living there for the full summer and I had a backpacking trip planned just for a week with my partner and turned fiance. Mm-hmm. But I extended my trip to do a couple of extra backpacking trips with my friend and it really blew me away. It's a location that was on my bucket list, pretty high, but everything about it in the outside world was just jaw-dropping. It feels very untouched.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Well, that's a great one. That's top of my list now for sure. <laughs> Definitely. And do you remember your first consciously sustainable purchase you made?
1: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> So there are a couple, I wonder how sustainable it is. Let's see. Well, there's a couple female designers. This was just the first thing that came to mind, but I got to learn, I bought a a sweater that is where like, I knew where the mill was, knew where all the material came from, knew the factory it was created in. It was supposed to be like a lifelong purchase. And the maker had this, such a thoughtful outlook. This it was a the female maker, had such a thoughtful outlook on how she created the work that it felt like a much more, and it was pretty local to hear. So that felt like a much more sustainable, at least clothing mm. purchase. But there are other things I'm trying to think. And I'm trying to think like into my apartment, like I have a (laughs) compost bin that I swear by. And that I think has created so much more of a sustainable lifestyle for me because I create half the amount of trash than I have ever before. And I figured this out in San Francisco where they actually use 40% of their compost and it goes to local farms and things. And the amount of production that those farms are able to do is just mind blowing with that compost layer. But I I think having a compost bin, it sounds so silly, but it creates a whole lifestyle change and really Mm -hmm. makes you realize how much trash you're throwing out or how much less trash you're throwing out by composting your food waste.
0: Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. The compost side of things is, I think, way more beneficial than a lot of people think initially. They think, well, okay, it's not going in trash. Okay. But then the added benefit of what it does long-term for, you know, the farmer, if the distribution's there, I mean, that's huge benefit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Or even for your neighbor or your own garden. It's a very, it's such a cool process that you can see end to end to create your own compost, to create your own humus. It's very rewarding to see what it does to your own garden. So I think that's a very easy, sustainable purchase for anyone looking to Create a little impact in their home.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think somebody could do if they were kind of wanted to go down the route of, you know, maybe I'll I'll try some new habit to be a little bit more sustainable? What would you recommend?
1: Well, I guess the biggest thing is probably you know not getting in your car and using public transit. That would be my first recommendation because that has a higher impact. But in your home, I would recommend
0: an art installation.
1: <laughs> no, I think that I think will create better benefits for your life and make you happier and more relaxed and more productive but I can't say that that is the number one sustainable approach to your that you can change to your home but I think I mean it's harder to do but like saving your wastewater or sorry saving your water around your house, saving all of your gray water and Mm -hmm. using that, like before your shower's ready, collecting that water, I think is a really valuable skill that we'll need to start learning more and more. Mm -hmm. And there's little things that you can do. If you own your home, you can get all of, depending on the orientation of things in your house, but you can get all of the water from your washing machine and you can actually get it to spit out if you're using, you know, a good soap for your, your washing machine or something mm-hmm. that's more organic, but you can have it spit out into your garden and use that water to water your garden, not your vegetables, but, you know, mm-hmm. your plants. And by doing little changes like that in your home and in collecting that water for your house plants and things too, it is, I think those small shifts are mm-hmm. really huge and really beneficial, especially... For someone like you living in Colorado or most of the country living in the West.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely water. Thankfully, Colorado, we're close to the head river, the Colorado River, Mm -hmm. but that river goes all the way down to Mexico and all the municipalities all the way down, they kind of pull their water out and put it back in, pull it out, put it back in. And so you have this water conservation essentially already starting across a lot of municipalities because it's learning how to conserve water in a different way to make sure that everybody has the water that they need to not only grow the food, but to sustain life.
1: Yep. Oh, oh, actually I have one more idea.
0: Yeah. This is definitely. a big
1: one. This is from my horticulture schooling and permaculture too. It's very cool. It's very easy. I think everyone should be replacing their grass. If you have a backyard with plants, with things like clover, And just bringing the environment a little, you know, it doesn't have to look totally wild. You can still have a little bit more structure Mm -hmm. to it. But the amount of benefits that that has to the animals and the insects around you and the birds that we're having trouble protecting is incredible. And so Mm -hmm. the grass does nothing for anyone, especially all the pesticides that go into the grass is terrible. So, Mm I think everyone, if they can, should really be focused on replacing their grass with plants.
0: Yeah. With some sort of just natural environment and let it kind of... Yeah. No, I think that's a good point too. Because I mean, that is also a lot of water use too. And so you're able to kind of optimize that. I know in some municipalities, they're doing stuff where they'll even pay for you to take out your grass to put in... Desert plants. I think it's in California somewhere. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, yeah, it's kind of what are ways that you can reimagine what a backyard looks like?
1: Yep, exactly. And
0: still make it a space that's natural, but not as reliant on human input to keep alive. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, how can people get involved with you, learn more about you, order a piece, look at your pieces? Where can they do all the things?
1: Yes. So, they can look at my work on Linnea, which is spelled L-I-N-N-E-A botanicals.com or on my Instagram, which is again at Linnea Botanicals and they can email me at info at Linnea and on my website, there is a form too for my work. So you can kind of get an idea of the information that I collect, and we can have a conversation about bringing the outside into your home or office.
0: I love that. Well, Linnea, thank you so much for just taking the time and talking all about, I mean, from lichen to just indoor spaces to horticulture, permaculture. I mean, we had so many different things. I'm just so grateful you took the time and really, really excited for the artwork that you've created and what you're going to be creating down the line for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate it. This was lots of fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Goat Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Kasanim. With each episode, we can further define what it means to create a truly sustainable and resilient future.
1: I think the new status is to show that, that you actually care. You want to drive change and you want to be part of a sustainable future. People fight for what they love. And let's uh, really all start for a small but significant shift in the way we live, we consume, and we plan our life.
0: Join us at sustainablegoat.com.